Hey everyone, I'm Scott Cunningham, aka Scottsy Business, and today we're here with Hashoshi. You've seen him on my channel before, but if you haven't, uh, definitely go back and rewatch that, and then rewatch this one, and then go and subscribe to his channel and check him out as well. He's kind of like, he does a lot of what I do, but with a more in-depth take i think on like the development side of things because he is a developer so he has a lot more insight on those kinds of things and i think uh he's basically like my channel but just much more successful with a lot more information <laughs> for you guys so i would definitely recommend oh, uh checking him out for sure and uh thanks for being on the show today yeah thanks for having me man uh, always a pleasure to, to hang out and chat yeah absolutely so just before we dive into everything, uh, do you want to just give a brief summary of what you do with your channel and uh, what you're all about just for the people who might have not have seen the first interview? Yeah, for sure. Um, first of all, thank you for the very kind introduction. Um, my channel really is all about cutting through the hype and, and laying out the facts about how cryptocurrency projects work, how blockchains work. Um, the underlying fundamental value proposition of a lot of these different projects that are out there. And, you know, the goal is to without, uh, you know, the big like, let's pump everything or let's dump everything sort of vibe, mm -hmm. just lay things out, have good conversations and, uh, and learn and grow together. That's, I think, the, the goal. And it is from a very technical background, because that is my background. I'm, I'm a tech person by, uh, by trade. And, uh, yeah, I've been a lifelong, well, at least for the life of cryptocurrency and blockchain, I've, I've been a, a, an advocate for it and uh, a follower of it. And I'm very excited to and grateful to be in the spot we are today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's really good that you give the developer side of things because that's a very niche take and uh, there aren't a lot of developers who are also creating content and sharing that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a very important part to to be covered for this space that, that you don't see a lot of. So that's really, really awesome. Um, in terms of like your general approach to investing and crypto, what does that look like for people who, uh, who, who want to get into the space? They don't know exactly where they should be looking. And like you said, you're all about like, not, not the hype, not all about the hype. You're about cutting through that and what's actually mm -hmm. important, the fundamentals. So do you want to just break that down a little bit? Yeah, I mean, to me, the way that I value projects are are generally according to like sort of uh, you think of it like a triangle, right? There's like the the tech fundamentals, like how easy is it for someone to uh, develop on the, the platform or protocol if that's applicable, or how likely is it that the what's outlined in the white paper um, is feasible, right? There are a lot of crypto projects that have great ideas, but there is almost no chance of execution or not in a, the, a timeline that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so that's like the tech side. There's also the, you know, sort of like, do they solve an actual problem? So like the fundamental value proposition of the project, when I look at something and I say like the, the marketing is brilliant, the product is cool, the team is, you know, interesting. If their problem that they're trying to solve either doesn't exist or has already been adequately solved, the path to success is a lot more difficult. And so that is sort of that foundational layer of the triangle, right? If the problem is not a problem, the rest really doesn't matter. And then the other part of it from an investment perspective that you have to care about invariably is the economics part, right? The economics of how hard it is for users to adopt the protocol. Is there a huge opportunity cost for someone to use your protocol over another one that already exists, that they're already loyal to? Is the to Are the tokens themselves fundamentally built or designed from an economic perspective in terms of uh, a, a variable or fixed cap supply or how uh, the rate of issuance is treated in terms of inflation? Is it deflationary in nature? There's all sorts of ways that you can evaluate whether a cryptocurrency is designed to accrue in value as the adoption grows. And uh, I think that's some of the reason why you see people saying, you know, oh, this token or that token is going to go to $10. And everyone's like, well, well, well how? Because... The, the economics don't make sense there. We need a market cap of X. And I think those are really, if you look at those three things without knowing a lick about TA, you can really make some good decisions in the market. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that's very similar to the way that I approach a lot of things. It's, it's all about fundamentals and does it actually have like a use case? Mm -hmm. What do you think about like TA? Like how, how effective is it? And then I guess more importantly, 
how successful do you think regular people would be at, uh, at, at trying to day trade based on technical analysis? Yeah. And so for being someone who is um, either notoriously bad at TA or just has not dedicated enough time and energy to learning how to, to properly uh, do TA, I don't know, at least personally, I don't put as much stock in it as you know someone who is a fundamental technical analysis person. So I'm not going to say invariably like make a claim, oh, it doesn't work or it does work. But I have a feeling that there are people who are really gifted at technical analysis. But I think the people who are really gifted at technical analysis are people who also understand project fundamentals and how that affects the trends that you see in the data, right? Because I think that technical analysis is heavily rooted in how people psychologically trade and how support and... Um, you know, momentum builds in a market. And a lot of that is also driven by by fundamentals. So I think the people who are online making really good calls are maybe purposefully or accidentally mixing the two fundamental and and probabilistic technical analysis type of, uh, of, of uh, work on guessing what cryptocurrency prices are going to do. But the key word there is guessing, right? I think mm-hmm. that there is this this myth around technical analysis and people online, there are so many talented traders, but they all have big losses, right? That That is just the truth. Traders lose a lot. And so someone who doesn't quite have that knowledge of risk management and money management and um, how to avoid the trap doors that there are, are the ones who get really, really wrecked and really, really hurt in the markets uh, because these traders that, that post online, they, they are most of the time masters of their craft and the mm-hmm. really good ones are going to tell you, Hey, I just had a five figure loss, or I just had a six figure loss or, or what have you, and be really clear about it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think the, like my, my concern is just that people see these people doing very, very well. And then mm-hmm. they either just copy their trades or they you know go looking for signal groups or whatever it happens to be i think people see technical analysis being done and then they think like this guy must be like some super genius i'm just gonna do everything that he's doing or you know they try to like learn it themselves and they just don't have the capital to support that kind of thing like you said if they did have a big loss most of those people trying to do that uh, just don't can't, couldn't afford those losses. So yeah, it's just something that that I think is important to touch on. Um, and before you were talking a lot about you know use cases and can something do what another protocol does? Do you think um all these like ETH killers like do you think we're going to see a lot more adoption on them, or do you think ETH 2.0 is going to kind of pull through? Uh, like, where do you see that kind of going? Because I guess my perspective is that a lot of these new ETH killers, quote unquote, are just offering the same thing that ETH does, but it's like an alternative to high gas fees, not necessarily like some new novel thing. It's just this mm-hmm. is an alternative to high gas fees, not like, you know, something super important or new or doesn't exist anywhere else. And how long is that actually sustainable if ETH actually, you know, goes through well and it scales and a lot of the gas issues are solved, will those still be relevant? I guess that was a very, very long question, but, uh, yeah, I, no, no, there's a lot to it. I, I mean, yeah. I, I am of the mind that ETH be calling yourself an ETH killer is the, the crappiest marketing pitch you can possibly make because yeah. you're saying like we, we, after, uh, being able to learn from Ethereum's mistakes, as the first mover and mm-hmm. having, you know, years after to, to build something maybe from scratch or taking some of the best parts of Ethereum and building on top of those, whatever you're saying, we're, we're better than Ethereum. You should be. I mean, that's like the fundamental, like that's the base level for you. Now it's, can you make your platform appealing for a specific handful of use cases, tailor it to a specific handful of use cases to pull um, new entrants really most of the time, because it, the hardest thing is to get people who are already in crypto to abandon the network they have invested in emotionally, uh, financially, and like in terms of like just time, people yeah. who use Ethereum are likely to want to keep using Ethereum because they're invested in it. So you want to pull in new people to the crypto space 
from industry or from outside to use your network because you have uh, a really powerful DeFi ecosystem or you have a really solid place to mint and, and use NFTs or you are, um, you know, you're one of the easiest places to build decentralized applications because you support WebAssembly and a bunch of really commonplace uh, languages and, and you have great developer tooling. Like these are some of the things that, that set you apart. But all this is to say that I don't also think that crypto is a zero sum game. I think it's often pitched that way where either, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Ethereum maximalists, as they're called, will often mm-hmm. say like all these other chains that are competing with Ethereum or trying to compete with Ethereum are, you know, basically useless. They don't, you know, they have all these trade-offs, whatever. And then on the flip side, those other chains are always like, well, Ethereum is outdated, you know, ETH 2.0 is never going to ship. It's like propagating this narrative that one chain has to lose for the other to win, where I don't really think that's the case. The future, at least as I see it developing, is going to be a really widely interoperable world where, you know, it could be protocols like Polkadot or Cosmos or, or what have you, the ones that exist today or something totally new that bridges with good, solid security guarantees across the board, several, many sovereign blockchains together that will inevitably niche down to specific industries, specific user groups, specific you know, geographic areas in some cases. And that's likely what's going to happen. So it's not going to be this like one protocol to rule them all. I think that's that's nonsense. And it runs counter to the whole idea of, I think, decentralization and and freedom of choice for people to use what they want to use. Uh, the trick is just to get everyone on an interoperable rail where those tra- those uh, decisions to use different blockchains don't cause mass fragmentation, which is what's happened now. Uh, so long answer to a long question, but generally, I think that answers it. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I I definitely see the future being a much more interoperable one and not like, you know, just maximalist for one certain Mm -hmm. thing. Um, And yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, naturally, when all these chains are, you know, just pushing forward, building tons and tons of stuff, it should be that way if everyone is, you know, trying to actually build useful things and not necessarily just trying to compete with other chains uh and then you know get caught up in oh well we were about to launch something but then they launched it so i guess scrap that whole thing and then they just it's just like a battle of like who's got the 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 certain feature that people are looking for yeah no i i definitely think it's a better situation for everyone when they're all kind of working to just solve problems and that's the that's the main thing that we really need to focus on i guess uh the reason that i asked the question is just because you see a lot of people who are like they want ETH to basically lose at this point so that the other chains can uh, go, you know, 100x or whatever. And it's not even about the fundamentals or like wanting to improve the technology or have interoperability. It's just you kind of miss the train on ETH and you want the next ETH to uh, you want to be on the train for the next ETH mm-hmm. and get all that money. So that, that that's why I asked that question. Do you think... Um, well, or I guess when do you think, if you think Bitcoin will hit 100 200 300k what are your thoughts there uh does it look like that's going to be possible this year what like what do what, what do you think yeah i mean again you know i and i always say this but my guess as to where bitcoin you know bottoms or tops or where it goes is just about as good as me closing my eyes and throwing a dart at the wall but yeah like fundamentally you know intuitively i feel like there is momentum to get above 100K by the end of 2021. Whether that is the top of the cycle, as people call it, hard to say. But the reason I say that is, you know, a few things. If you look at, you know, the patterns, right? You look at what happened in 2017. A lot of 2017's run up to 20K-ish was retail FOMO. It was people that saw this thing, they think, oh, it's a get rich quick scheme. Let me just ride this bad boy up and make tons of money, buy a Lambo and retire. Mm-hmm. Those investors are very fickle. And so as soon as you know you had a normal consolidation showing on the charts, all these people are panicking and they just jumped out, right? There was no maturity in that bull run whatsoever. 
this time around, there is a lot more maturity. We have those crazy swings down. We have, you know, $10,000 US shaved off of Bitcoin's price, you know, a couple times in the past few months. But the reality is, is that with the introduction of, of institutions changes the game, the introduction of big companies as well, that maybe you could argue are still part of that institutional game, putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet. That's a big, big difference. The adoption broadly in the marketplace in terms of where you can get Bitcoin around the world, um, an understanding of it a lot better. And I think the biggest thing is with all the stuff going on economically around the world with central banks for the first time and money printing and inflation and basically all the reasons you would be interested in something like Bitcoin, it's now on the front page, right? People are aware of it for the first time in God knows how long in large quantity. And that's the big reason why I think people are waking up to the fact that, hey, why wouldn't I have at least maybe a couple different hedges against inflation because I'm not sure what's going to happen in the future. I think that's a big part of it because people now understand the reason why the problem that Bitcoin solves. And that is what is driving the value that we see now. And that's my honest belief. Yeah. Yeah. And and I wholeheartedly agree with that. I actually just made a video uh, the other day on why I think you don't need to fully understand the technical back end of mm -hmm. Bitcoin and the blockchain, but it's more important to just understand inflation, how that affects you today, what Bitcoin and cryptocurrency solves for inflation, mm -hmm. um, and just like why why it matters really, because uh, so many people struggle to to grasp like how it works. So I just think it's mm -hmm. more important to just focus on the problem and then what it's solving, which is exactly what you said. So yeah, I, I think uh, inflation is definitely one of the bigger drivers, especially in this cycle. Um, and then for for Ethereum, do you think it has a chance to potentially even grow more than Bitcoin uh, in the in this cycle, I guess? Because the way that I'm looking at it is if 2.0 happens, that goes well. And or just people are kind of comparing Bitcoin to gold. So if we look at mm -hmm. Bitcoin compared to the gold market cap versus like Ethereum compared to, say, stocks or money, there's much more room for Ethereum to grow. And um I believe it's called FTX, but they they're they're partnered with Blockfolio now and you can now mm -hmm. buy tokenized stocks and I think this is kind of the beginning of seeing that major paradigm shift where if we get like every stock tokenized and like we really penetrate that market, I I think there's a there's a big chance that Ethereum might grow more than Bitcoin might in this year or in the next few years. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, it's definitely possible. I, I think the, I mean, so there are a couple of thoughts there. So one is, you know, Bitcoin in comparison to gold, right? I think it's a really great comparison, right? It's a great fundamentally sound uh, asset. You could call it money. You could call it an asset, whatever you want. Gold has been both throughout history. Mm -hmm. That's great. Ethereum to me appears almost like, uh, you know, people say ETH is money. ETH to me is like a commodity, which also has been used for money in the past in human civilization. Ether is the fuel that runs or could potentially run a large swath of the economy in the future. Decentralized finance, digital collectibles, digital collectibles that exist in digital worlds, all sorts of things. Could be akin to oil or coal, fossil fuels, it could be a reserve currency in this digital world. It's hard to say exactly what analogy will work out perfectly, but I think it's somewhere in that, that realm. That being said, I do think that Ethereum 2.0 is going to ship. The question is, when is it going to ship? And is this whole you know, sort of quandary around EIP 1559 going to expedite the process of, of launching some of the core features of ETH 2.0? Mm -hmm. The truth is though, no matter how much they want to expedite this thing, it's not going to happen before 2022. That's just the truth. And probably towards the end of 2022, even if every single thing that's expedited goes ex exactly as they want, I don't see it happening before then. And so with that being said, this year will likely be maybe set up for even more excitement next year. 
but there's so many variables that we have no control over and couldn't possibly guess how they're going to play out. So this guess could, you know, five days from now be rooted in total, you know, fallacy. But I think Ether in and of itself has already exceeded expectations for me this year in terms of its value because of all of the, you know, sort of the, the congestion issues, the challenges in use uh, juxtaposed against all the great things like the adoption, the growth of the, uh, the tooling and the uh, standardization of Ethereum based tokens and other things, adoption of, of Ethereum uh, for all sorts of different industries. I mean, there's a lot to love. There's a lot to be concerned about. But I think the future is still bright. It's just going to take time and patience. Yeah, yeah, I know. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and as I mentioned before, the way I kind of look at a lot of these cryptocurrencies is based on use case. Um, mm-hmm. How do you sort of view different cryptocurrencies? I know you explained at the beginning how you look at it for investing, but in terms of like, I don't want to say use case because then it's just basically saying the same thing that I'm saying, but uh, how do you sort of view different cryptocurrencies and how they differ and like, what is the uh, purpose for different coins, I guess, at least for the, for like someone getting into this space, if they're like, you know, why would I invest in this or what do I need this for? Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess fundamentally, if you, if you believe in, one of the, the the core tenets of the, that blockchain network in terms of mm-hmm. what it's trying to achieve, the, the technical solution they've come up with to achieve that goal. If you believe in those things, I mean, that's how you evaluate stock, right? It's, do you believe in the company? Do you agree with its mission? Do you agree that what they're trying to do makes sense and solves a need? Do you think they're going to be profitable? Do you think that they're going to get stomped on by regulators because what they're doing is too ahead of its time? These are all things you have to be thinking about for crypto projects too, right? Because I think what gets often lost is that crypto projects are often called a scam for falling into the same fate that startups fall into all the time. And they're always in startup world like, oh, just didn't work out. The statistics are still heavily against all the blockchain projects that are out there right now, these are startups, right? So let's call them what they are. Even though they're, you know, in some ways governed by the community, they have just as the, the same likelihood of failing, like 90% of these projects are going to fail completely over time. So with that knowledge, I think we should be calling this space and when people fail, what it is, it didn't work. They're not scammers. They're not necessarily rug pullers unless there's clear and obvious evidence that they are. I'm not you know, absolving that. But sometimes stuff just doesn't work out. So understanding that risk, I'm, I will look at a project and say, what are some of the, the pitfalls that they could fall into? Where are some of the places I can see them, them completely failing? And that's often how I, I decide how much risk I'm willing to take on something because that is that is fundamentally something that everyone needs to tr- at least try to do is to understand the risk, not just thinking about the upside because there's tons of upside for all sorts of projects, potential upside. Mm-hmm. The potential risks are what you should be more concerned about um, because you need to eliminate as many of your big losses as you can. Yeah, yeah. And and no, that, that sounds very sound to me. Um, yeah, I mean, like, all you can really do at the end of the day is, like you said at the very beginning of this, focusing on fundamentals, focusing on, you know, the things that are actually relevant indicators for uh, if it's going to be a good project or not. And at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be a lot more losers than there's going to be winners. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that, yeah. that that's a very succinct way to put it because people need to think about these things when they're going into it. A lot of times yeah. what I'm doing is uh finding out if a project is a scam i'm not necessarily looking at if i think they're going to uh you know fail i'm looking at more Mm -hmm. like is this trying to take your money rather than an obvious scam yeah 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 exactly normal human thing like it's a normal human reaction especially in crypto because the word scam is thrown around so often Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of times people like message me on the channel and they'll say Look, you know, I think this so-and-so project is a scam. And I always think to myself, like, if we applied the same logic to startups, like where they they take a ton of money and investment 
and then they like fritter it away doing this and this and that and they completely fail if that's a scam then there are so many businesses that that are are scams right like we can't use that word so often because we're we're now doing a disservice to people who come into crypto without this background knowledge who will just adopt that way of thinking and that in and of itself is is detrimental to the space because then you have project teams that that don't even that might not even want to try because they are too afraid to fail and be labeled a scam and blackballed mm. as a scammer forever you know and yeah. and that it makes a difference right you know so think about that and the other thing i wanted to say is think about liquidity if you get into a project how easy is it going to be for you to get out that's another big one you know yeah yeah and, and that's kind of that's one of the things that i focus on a lot in uh, in determining whether or not i think it's like a scam or sketchy project is mm-hmm. can you can you get in and out of the project can i spell it easy? yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um yeah and and no i think that's a really good point because i do that most of the time too when i approach most projects it's mm-hmm. is this a scam more so than uh you know, does this have potential to fail? And I think mm-hmm. you're very correct in saying that, like, if we did that with ever- anything else, uh, it would just be very unfair. And uh, yeah, we're kind of like diluting the meaning of scam if everything is a scam. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. people people would definitely be afraid to to do something because then they don't know if it's going to work out or not. And you don't want to be a scammer yeah. for the rest of your life because you have a failed <laughs> project. I mean, actually, yeah. I, I come to think of it, Elon Musk, I'm pretty sure the first few projects that he worked on failed. So by mm-hmm. that logic, he would be a scammer in the crypto world. So yeah, I mean, that's that's very, very good point. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think Bitcoin is more heavily influenced by speculators or by institutions or by the having cycles? Mm, that's a tough question. I mean... I would say that anyone buying Bitcoin and saying to you that they are not speculating on the future value of it is total liar. Yeah. Personally, no matter how much you believe, like I believe so much in Bitcoin. I 11 years ago read the Bitcoin white paper, you know, as like an, an idiot young, you know, like teenager, right? And I fell in love with it. But at the same time, like my continued reinvestment in in bitcoin as i started to actually have assets like i actually had money to invest and to think about investing it was all based on speculation like i believe fundamentally this is going to go up in value that that is speculating so even if it comes from a place of belief it's still speculating so i think that drives a lot of it but at the same time you know institutions make a big difference because institutions don't like to lose and they traditionally don't lose. So, you know, people ask me like, what's the, you know, why are you less excited about, you know, Tesla accepting Bitcoin for their cars? Why don't you think that's as big a deal? It's not that I don't think it's a big deal. I just think it's the fact that you can buy an asset with another asset that is just happens to be Bitcoin. That's cool. The coolest thing is that Bitcoin or, you know, Tesla has said, we are going to run our own Bitcoin infrastructure, which is huge. That's a big company running open source tech. Two, that they are saying we are going to accept Bitcoin for our cars and we are not converting it to fiat. We are keeping the Bitcoin. That is what is a game changer because that basically says we as a company understand the financial implications of accepting what is a volatile asset we believe in this in the long term because it's going to be on our balance sheet and we're going to accept it for our uh, our revenue from sales. That is huge. Mm-hmm. So I think that those types of things are what's driving the the value proposition for Bitcoin. And and so that like if you think of it like that's the the torch, the kerosene that gets dumped all over that torch is the halvings, which just further constrains the amount of supply that's available you know, week over week, month over month, even day over day on exchanges for institutions and retail and other people who want Bitcoin to buy it. And uh, that's where you see the premiums on, um, you know, on these institutional sides, like the trading desks go up, you see, you know, uh, exchanges for retail basically saying, hey, we don't have any Bitcoin to sell you. Sorry, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. 
it's this sort of cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And we're seeing so much more adoption too with like PayPal just announcing that you'll be able mm-hmm. to start spending crypto in the US. Although I still am a little hesitant to fully trust that because I know it says in their FAQ that they'll have to like approve the vendors and it'll be very, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a, it's, they're, they're trying to centralize it by you buy it from them and then they control who you can p- pay it to. So I don't like that, but I do like what it means for like mass adoption. Visa just mm-hmm. announced that they're going to allow you to settle with USDC. So there's so much adoption. I love it. Um, what do we need to really get full mass adoption or like what are some like key things that will really take us there? The most key thing is your key thing. It's your wallet. (laughs) That is the most important thing. You talk about what is the biggest issue with crypto right now. It is that in almost every way, having self-sovereign tech that is open and borderless and decentralized is almost in every way better than the centralized alternative, except the responsibility that it puts on the user to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. We know from the countless instances where people do stupid stuff online. And no matter how good you are with this, you know, I, I preach about online security and good passwords and using 2FA and doing this and that. The reason why I preach it so much is because I've been just the same, a, uh, you know, guilty of not following those rules and getting burned. In crypto, there's very few methods by which you can make a mistake and come back from that mistake because there's no one to clean up your mess for you, right? Like that is the biggest thing. So wallet technology is going to be one of the biggest areas that brings the average person into crypto and most importantly, keeps people who get into crypto from leaving and never coming back. Mm -hmm. You know, like I had someone today ask me, uh, why are you in crypto? I hear it's unsafe. You know, someone just lost a ton of money using uh, the tree Trezor wallet. You know, like you know, they have no idea what they're talking about. But the reality is, that's an everyday person who could have been in crypto who will never be because they're now scared of it. And and that is that's something that needs to be fixed. So wallet technology, ways to recover, ways to keep people from making silly mistakes. That is also an education thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are important. The other yeah. thing would be tooling, you know, like making the, the, the tech that makes decentralized applications work uh, more readily available and easier to use and more scalable. So that's just maturity across the board from blockchain protocols to IPFS to, uh, you know, per- even personal computing. I think that stuff is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're all guilty of uh, making mistakes in our early days of crypto. I just put Mm -hmm. a uh, poll out the other day saying, uh, do you still cringe when you send a really, really large transaction? Because I saw that there's, yeah, there's always that little thought in the back of your mind to like, you got to make sure to double check everything. And, Mm -hmm. um, but I also said that we're getting a lot better, you know, with things like ENS domains. Um, someone could send to my address by just typing in, you know, scottcbusiness.eth. And if they spelled mm-hmm. it wrong, it would say, oh, that's that's wrong. Like, you can't send to this. Like, you don't even have the choice to send. So I think w- things like that that are making it easier and more challenging to make a mistake is going to mm-hmm. be very, very uh, important going forward. But at the same time, it may also introduce new problems. Like if someone, uh, has a ENS domain that is very, very widely used and you buy the slightly misspelled version of it and, and Mm -hmm. link it to your own, uh, addresses, you know, there's different things that can happen, but I mean, for the most part, at least for now, it's, uh, it's, it's a solution more than it, than it'll cause any problems. Um, Mm -hmm. In terms of uh, NFTs, you mentioned earlier. What is your what are your thoughts on NFT market? Like as it is now, uh, is there more legitimacy than hype? Is it more hype than legitimacy? Uh, it does it depend on you know the the artist or the use case? What are your thoughts on NFTs? Yeah, I mean, I've been. I've been preaching about NFTs for a long time because they are they have been one of my favorite topics. You know, it's like okay. I was joking around the other day, you know, <laughs> it's like for people that watched my channel when I had no clue what I was doing and I was like nervous on camera, I like didn't, I was too shy, didn't really want to even do the videos, but I was trying to force myself to do it. Mm-hmm. I talked about CryptoPunks 
like I guess three and a half years ago, four years ago. Yeah. And I'm like, if you watch that video and you bought a CryptoPunk, you're welcome. You know, it's like just just joking <laughs> around. But I think NFTs are are such a powerful invention, and you know that they're a powerful invention because all the you know the gurus and people in like the outside business world are talking about them now because they've seen the shifts in from uh, brick and mortar stores to online shopping from uh, only valuing physical goods and physical experiences to digital goods and digital experiences. And now we're shifting into the next generation, which is, you know, really uh, the high value asset classes. And that includes like credentials and licenses and event tickets and other things like that shifting to a digital medium as well. And it's really the revolution, not in terms of the um, just moving to digital, but it's moving to a, a digital format where you don't have to be a part of 15,000 walled gardens. You know, have I need to have an account on, you know, this website to use my digital ticket. I need to have an account here to use this ticket and I need 50 wallets to use them. The theory is you have one place that is non-centrally controlled where you can collect and amass your your assets, where it's very obvious that they're authentic, that you own them. You can prove that you own them with a, a private key signature within seconds. You know where it came from, all that sort of thing. Uh, and so all that's to say, right now, we are in a period of extreme hype where we were with ICOs three and a half years ago. What will happen now is that a lot of the NFTs that exist today are going to be worth nothing because they are we're not we're not in a mature place right now. We're getting the influx of people that will be that foundation for NFTs to grow and get mainstream adoption from here. Some of the projects will succeed, same as the ICO days. Most will not, and I think it's the 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 space will be better for it. But the trick is trying not to get caught up in that that hype right now because it's ravenous. Mm-hmm. So would you say for, you know, say someone who's like very, very new and they want to maybe get a couple NFTs, do you mm-hmm. think they're better off looking into something like, you know, buy art that you really like, or do you, or are you more into like buy something from like a game or like, uh, you know, like there's real estate, there's, there's a lot of different, uh, things you can do with NFTs. Like where, where do you think someone who wants exposure to NFTs should start? Because my main concern when I got started with NFTs and like started playing around was I was doing, um, like blockchain games. And mm-hmm. the issue with a lot of blockchain games is you're spending a lot of money on transactions and you're getting these items, but a lot of them, no one wants. So now mm-hmm. I have all these, like, I have, a, I have a lot of like planets from OX planets and like different things that like no one wants to buy. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like, ah, like, what do I do with these now? Bummer, um, yeah. yeah. So that, that, that's kind of like my thought, but, um, I, it's obviously different if you're if you're more specific with what you were trying to do. I was kind of just testing things, and then I ended up with a lot of like valueless uh, NFTs. But um, at the same time, I've also made a lot of money on my crypto kitties that I've held for a long time. So I'm not against it either. But uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, I mean, anything you buy right now is a gamble, no matter how you slice it. You no matter how much you believe in it. No matter how cool it is, it's a gamble. And there is no way to spin that. The the thing is, is that like a lot of the people that are like, oh, NFT, you know, I'm a, an NFT investor. Like a lot of those people bought NFTs before anyone knew about NFTs. Like you just said, mm-hmm. oh, crypto kitties. You know, it's like crypto kitties, crypto punks, uh, moon cats, all these things that have existed for years already that people only just now care about. There will be projects like that where three years from now, people still care about them and will be extremely excited about them, but there will be a lot that have no value. So it's not also enough to say, well, just go and buy licensed stuff, right? Like Top Shots, for example, because the reason Top Shots are so sought after is because there's that scarcity, but it's not only because of scarcity, it's because there is the demand that outstrips that scarcity. If the demand goes away, which it still could, the value goes away. So if I were to advise someone with no warranties or guarantees of success about how to uh, approach NFTs, it would be 
admire the art, find maybe a few projects that are within a, a really conservative budget for you to buy into. And when you do that, think about the decision of protocol. Is this project going to just yank roots and go move to flow off of Ethereum instead um, or move to flow instead of Ethereum later? And that's going to like wreck the value. You know, are they going to change their, their, uh, their, their system up? I mean, there's a lot of things happening right now with layer twos that will affect how NFTs are, are minted and processed and, and sold. You know, just be cognizant of those things when you buy them and, and make sure you're thinking about how you'd sell them. Because I think there are a lot of people who buy something for seven ETH and they're like, oh, well, this is worth seven ETH. Mm. It's only worth seven ETH if someone's going to buy it from you for seven ETH, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that that's the most important thing. And I know that's such a non-answer because there's no like substantive uh, guarantee in there. But the truth is, is that that is the answer. There is no guarantee. So I would just say, be very careful. No. And I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It's kind of why it's called non-fungible, right? For for the people watching, it's like, it's because it's not going to be valued the same uh, by everyone everywhere. So mm -hmm. you got to always consider that these are unique, meaning they could be worth a lot or they could be worth nothing. Um, yeah. So that's always important. But I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, enthusiastic about the future of NFTs. And I really am interested in new innovative things that are happening. One thing that I, I think was really cool was uh, Taylor Bennett, Chance the Rapper's brother, uh, yeah. made an NFT of his song and then allowed you to buy ownership of, of the song in 1% uh, shares, I guess, and then you would get revenue from the song. So it's a way for people to now invest in songs, books. It's like you could be mm -hmm. doing a song ICO or a book ICO, but uh, you don't like you don't have to hope that it's going to, you know, build something. They have already got the thing and you're going to benefit immediately. So very, very cool. Um, yeah. And I'd love to see more like innovative NFT stuff like that as well. No, Scott, one thing on that that's interesting that that's like almost like a full circle moment from what we've talked about today. Those types of use cases right there, which are arguably, in my opinion, you know, one of the most powerful use cases that exist for NFT mm -hmm. is totally agree. I have a feeling that what is going to happen is three years from now, maybe even sooner, we're going to be talking about the SEC creating motions for lawsuits against people doing this right now, <laughs> implying that yeah. it is a security based on a promise of profit or success of a product. I'm no lawyer. I'm no, you know, uh, compliance a good point, expert, yeah. but this, it just shows where we are in the cycle is my main point. This is the hype cycle. This is where everyone's just floating ideas, seeing what sticks, trying to innovate. And I respect that, but there will be regulatory reaction to this and it's already brewing. And so like, it's just going to be interesting to watch uh, literally a repetition of what happened with ICOs. Uh, a few years ago, coming back here with this cycle around NFTs. That's yeah. my prediction. No, by no means guaranteed. And I don't want to imply that uh, Taylor Bennett or anyone of the sort is going to, uh, with 100% certainty, be scrutinized, but it could happen. Yeah, no, but that's actually a really good point. Uh, people need to consider like regulation and, and what might happen mm -hmm. for that space. Uh are you invested in uh, many NFTs? Like, do you have any favorites that you'd like to call out or, or anything like that? Uh, many? No, but I do have, you know, NFTs from years past. I also am a big fan of like buying cheap NFTs that I just, that I like, you know, that are just cool, yeah. you know, like yeah. I, there was a, on the Phantasma network, there was an art contest where folks made NFTs that were either uh, related to my channel or just general NFTs. I got a ton of those because they're, you know, like artists that would send me stuff. And I'm like, this is really cool. I want to support your work. I really admire it. I mean, buy, buy an NFT there. Um, mm -hmm. So that that's cool stuff. But I also think, you know, Top Shots, I like it. I've part, I've partaken before. Um, I'm trying to think of other projects like Gods Unchained is a game that I think is really cool. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Gala Games also really cool. I mean, there's so many projects out there that I'm a fan of, but I'm, I will be a hundred percent candid while I, NFTs are one of my favorite components 
of cryptocurrency and I've put the most uh, sort of philosophical thought leadership development hours and thought into NFTs, I'm not dumping a ton of money into NFTs right now because I, I, I like, that's just, I, that's not my strategy personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, the main NFTs that I explored were uh, real estate for real T tokens. And uh, I thought that was also a very, very cool use case. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some, uh, co- well, actually, you mentioned the SEC. So I guess this is a pretty poignant time to stop and uh, mention the fact that Library, Odyssey, Lab from Mars, whichever uh whichever one you want to call it these days uh they are dealing with a filing from the SEC as well and we briefly mm-hmm. talked about that i thought you had a pretty good take do you want to share that yeah i mean this whole thing is kind of unfolding as we speak so there's a lot of information that's maybe not yet known yeah this is going to continue to evolve but i i think long story short the idea is similar to the the case against uh eos and um, Ripple, for example, with XRP, it said this token was sold under the idea that a product that came out of this uh, token sale was going to succeed and subsequently increase the value of that token. And by that terminology, you have created now a um, a security, right? So that that's the, the the pitch, right? That's the general idea. Again, mm-hmm. not a lawyer, not a compliance expert your mileage may vary. But what I think the most important thing is right now is that there's this thing going around the web where people are saying, well, and this, I think this originated from the library team. And look, I understand why they're upset. It makes perfect sense. But they're basically saying like the entire US cryptocurrency space is at risk if the SEC brings forth this case and wins. I don't know that I 100% buy that because not every cryptocurrency project is building a public facing website that is you know tangentially using blockchain i know library tv and, and odyssey that it uses the blockchain as the main economic source in terms of uh, interacting with the content but they still have a platform that's largely built with like different pieces of technology open source or otherwise so they they're kind of in this position where the lines are a little blurry and I think that's why they're being scrutinized, much like Ripple, because Ripple is a huge company, you know, like that the Ripple Labs folks that are pushing a product that's intrinsically linked to the token, but not necessarily like an open source blockchain project. So it's a lot easier for the SEC to go, hey, uh, that's an unlicensed security. So I, I mean, I think it's definitely something to watch. I think it's uh, something that's important to the space, but I don't know that this case alone is like this death knell for crypto like it's being made out to be and i don't think the markets have reacted like it is either uh so what are your thoughts on that scott yeah i mean um like we mentioned before i haven't looked into it as much as i probably should i signed Mm -hmm. the petition at the very least um Mm -hmm. which i recommend everyone should definitely sign the petition to just so show your support but Mm -hmm. uh yeah i mean i'm hoping that it's not going to have as drastic an effect as uh as people might think or as library might think mm-hmm. but uh in terms of like the price of the coin that's definitely uh an unfortunate situation for a lot of holders uh but at the same time you know it's grown exponentially over the past year so yeah. i don't think a lot of people are like super upset by that um but yeah I no mean- i I think you're you're pretty succinct with with your analysis that uh, I mean we've seen things like this before. It's not necessarily like this crazy one-off event that is you know unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think it'll be as drastic as it's made out to be, more or less. Yeah, and it's it follows the pattern, right? It, it follows the same pattern that the others did, right? Block one, you know, EOS, huge company that uses the EOS product. And you know, you know, helped drive the development of the the uh, the EOS network. It's still a big company. Like you can go after them, and, and like I like I know that it's a, a frustrating space because the regulation has not caught up to the reality, and it doesn't represent the current state of the economy and commerce and business, etc. Totally agree with that. I think though that it's a 
it's a slippery slope for people to say invariably that there is no need for any any regulatory body to even care about this and just to let things go completely uh, laissez-faire because it's never how the, the world works, right? Like to set that expectation is unrealistic, no matter how uh, good an idea as we think that might be. Um, it just isn't realistic. So when you have with that knowledge, you can say, okay, well, what is the realistic outcome here? If you look at the other cases that have been brought, you have some precedent there to say, well, it might go this way or it might go that way. But, um, you know, it's something to follow, but also something not to overreact about personally. Like, I don't agree necessarily with everything that's outlined in the case that at least to the point that I've read it, but you know, it's, it's something that we have to accept as, as it's happened. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and I think it's just very relevant since you mentioned that, uh, with NFTs, you know, who knows, we could see regulation come in in a few years and, you know, that could be very impactful. And mm -hmm. like we're seeing now with library, you know, things can happen and it can totally wreck the value. So, you know, you've always got to keep these things in mind. There's other risks that you might have not thought of. I actually just um, recalling a point you made about when you buy NFTs, you've also got to consider the protocols because there's a lot of people who are very new to the crypto space. They don't mm -hmm. even realize that that matters. Um, so yeah, that, like that, that was another really great point you brought up that they might change protocols. Things could mm -hmm. change. So it's not just, is this an NFT that people are going to like? There's a lot of other things that, uh, that could affect the value. And that's definitely important to, uh, to keep in mind for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, there, like, I, I also want to highlight that. Like, look at the big tech, right? People hate big tech now. I get it, right? Mm -hmm. I get it. But the reality is big tech used to not be big tech. Big tech used to be startups. And there are still startups who will one day be big tech because that yeah. is the nature. You grow and you grow and you grow and you grow until you become big. <laughs> and even big tech like Google big tech like Facebook, big tech like Twitter is constantly, constantly accosted by, and I say accosted, it's very neg negatively con connotated word. They are basically con constantly engaged with by regulators based on their actions. And so for people to expect that crypto is just going to be let to just live and not be bothered are just not rooted in reality. Like mm -hmm. even the most powerful tech companies who people try to, you know, cons from a conspiracy perspective, say runs the world, they are also at the, not at the mercy, but they're constantly, uh, you know, at, at odds with regulators and vice versa. And that's just the nature of the world. You know, that's what drives forward society, I suppose, is that, that push and pull. Yeah, yeah. And I guess uh, after listening to this conversation, a Bitcoin maximalist might say, well, that's why you go with Bitcoin, because we don't know who created it, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but even then, it's like, you know, you look at, again, you look at the pattern, right? It's like, these are a lot of these people who are, who are being, you know, targeted for, you know, securities are people who raised a lot, and then mm built a product, but they also have a company that's very active and, mm. you know, very aggressive in terms of the way that they market something, the way that they, you know, maybe derive profit, the way it's messaged is very important. And so like, you know, Bitcoin maximalists, of course, are going to say that, but there are also, you know, companies in the Bitcoin space, which I'm not going to open up that can of worms that are very aggressive in their marketing, very aggressive in terms of their, um, you know, their messaging about Bitcoin and then tangential products related to it that mm. could very well be, you know, be targeted for, you know, compliance reasons or regulatory reasons, et cetera. But of course, yeah, you know, a big open source network is, is a lot tougher to, to go after. And that's why usually it's not the networks that get, uh, you know, that get served notice. It's the companies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, we're almost done here, but what mm -hmm. are some of your favorite crypto or blockchain applications, uh, whether it's social media dApps or, you know, whatever it happens to be? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot out there. I mean, a lot. I, I think there's a lot of like 
there's a lot of DeFi stuff that I think is really cool. I mean, even down to, um, I think it's brilliant the way MetaMask has pivoted to trying to be a profitable entity and sort of creating this uh, DeFi aggregator for swaps mm-hmm. inside of their, uh, their application. Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, uh, totally brilliant move. I think, you know, I'm a fan of that. You know, obviously you got to be mindful of the fees and what they're going to charge you, but smart move, right? It's a great user experience. Uh, Lolly is also fantastic in terms of getting people invested in crypto and ter- through Bitcoin as the gateway by just doing things that everyone does, which would be online shopping. I, I yeah. have respect for them and the team. Uh, a lot of the gaming companies like, um, Engine is fantastic. Gala Games, amazing. Gods Unchained, the Immutable X sort of team, really cool. Um, and of course, you know, I actually, I, I do, I do really think that there's this this next generation of of cryptocurrency wallets too that deserve some love, like Rainbow Wallet for Ethereum. Um, Argent is also cool. But then there's other things like Zengo that are more agnostic to chain that are also pretty darn cool and give people that may not want total responsibility for their wallet, the ability to make that trade off and have a secure wallet that does a lot of the backup and restore stuff for them. Yeah. Cool stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I haven't heard of uh, some of those, so I'll definitely have to check those out. Mm-hmm. Um, so my last question is, are there any, uh, any coins that you want to shout out in anticipation for alt season and uh, are we in alt season now or has that yet to come? Hmm. Are we in alt season now? Probably not. The reason I say not is because I think, I think there's still room to run for Bitcoin. And usually Bitcoin, people taking Bitcoin profits uh, goes into altcoins and then altcoin profits goes into Bitcoin towards the end of the cycle. So it's that may be what happens. It's hard to say mm-hmm. again, you know, I'm, I'm as good as a blind mouse on that one as anyone is. Anyone who says they can predict it cannot. Yeah. Uh, in terms it might of be Alex, NFT season though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That I think is safe to say, but yeah. you know, I mean, in terms of, in terms of specific altcoins, I'm actually going to be really annoying and I'm going to say there are, there are too many for me to, to share with you here. But my yeah. general recommendation would be that there are a plethora of options out there. Try not to like focus all of your capital into one niche, like DeFi. Don't just dump all your coins into DeFi governance tokens. You know, like spread it out to you know some DeFi stuff. Maybe some. If you want to get exposed to NFTs, and I made a mistake earlier by not mentioning this, there are other there are projects that have a token that are focused on NFTs. And so you can bet broadly on the NFT space being big mm-hmm. by investing in projects like that, potentially. Um, you know, so things like that spread it out across DeFi, NFTs, um, general, like, you know, utility tokens for, for chains that you're a fan of. I know that po- like the Polkadot and Cosmos world is starting to really pick up steam. Uh, there's some really good stuff out there. And so just diversify and focus everything on risk management because that is tantamount to success. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Diversification is so, so important. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll mention one more tweet that I made today, actually, just because it's very relevant to this conversation. I said, uh, when your friends start saying that you're a conservative investor because you invest in Bitcoin, you know they're mm-hmm. a little too far off the end uh, in terms of the coins <laughs> they're investing in. Because <laughs> yeah. a lot of my friends are like, "Oh, Scott, you're so conservative with your Bitcoin investment and your Ethereum. You don't, you don't, you don't invest in all the craziness." I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> like, ask people but, uh, about twenty about 2018 and tell, and then we'll we'll replay this one. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> all the yeah. people who like went super wide. And like went into all these altcoins and got out fully from Bitcoin didn't bode so well either. So that's the way it goes. Yeah. I'm, yeah. You can either uh, go 100x or you can go 0x. Hopefully people land somewhere in the middle though. Um, <laughs> so that yeah. is uh, that is everything for me today. Uh, where can everyone go to follow you and uh, and what's your YouTube and and where can they find more about you? Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, um, you can go to 
uh, youtube.com slash C slash Hashoshi4. And then it's the same uh, on Twitter. I'm very active there at Hashoshi4, H-A-S-H-O-S-H-I, the number four. And uh, looking forward to connecting with folks. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So again, I highly recommend his channel. Um, definitely a lot of good content on there. Uh, you, I don't know if you prefer people to watch it on like YouTube or library, but I always watch his content on library. So he gets a few extra LBC in his wallet. Um, but you know, I'm sure you're probably doing pretty well with YouTube ads as well. So I'm sure either, or as long as you're, uh, as long as you're giving this guy some love, then, uh, then that is all good. But again, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. It's always a blast. Awesome. All right. Cheers.